Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. In a nutshell, we travel to different historical places and events and we blog about them. But we wanted to try a different medium, so we're branching out into podcasts. Each week we'll have a chat about different periods of history, important events and extraordinary people in one way or another. And we'll round it all off with a relevant, ridiculous death. So, sit back, grab a drink and enjoy Tarbis After Hours. Hello and welcome to this week's Tarbis After Hours. Now, we've done in the past couple of ones, villains. Well, we have. we've done a hero slash villain, Oliver Cromwell, and we've done pirates who are technically villains because they were illegal. So we're going to keep up the, the sort of theme here. It is October after all. It is. And uh, we're going to go with high women this time. And arguably the most famous high women, Dick Turpin. So if I say Dick Turpin to you, Em, what do you think? I think of a brave and handsome hero who was a wonderful rider. Mm-hmm. He rode his gallant horse, Black Bess, all the way from Essex to York in record time to prove he couldn't have committed such a crime that he was uh, being told that he'd done. And that he robbed stagecoaches, but was also very polite about it, especially to the ladies. He was like this hero, kind of like Robin Hood-esque, but a little bit more villainous, but was still polite and nice and very handsome and rode. So like a swashbuckling, dandy, very romantic sort of hero? Yes. (coughs) The vast majority of that is not true or was not him. Well, tell me the truth then, Carrie. Let's start from the beginning, shall we? That's that's always always a good place place to start. (laughs) Jinx. Um, Right, he was born, allegedly, we say allegedly because of record keeping at the time, it might be a little bit outside, Um, on the 21st of September 1705 at the Bluebell Inn in Hempstead in Essex. Um, He was born to John Turpin and Mary Elizabeth Parmenter. Now, John Turpin used to be a butcher and he was the landlord of the pub, the Bluebell Inn. Um, His name was Richard Turpin, not Dick, that's sort of a nickname, and he became an apprentice butcher to follow in his father's footsteps. He married Elizabeth Millington, moved to Buckhurst Hill in Essex in 1730. All above board so far. Yep. Very nice. Tied up in a ribbon. However, this is when things start to go south. And boy, do they go south quickly. Yeah. When he was in Essex, um, he started rustling cattle because he realised that... uh, Butchery probably wasn't the most lucrative business. No, I mean it was pretty not at the time. No, but um, he decided he'd probably get more money stealing or rustling cattle than he would butchering them. Um, he fell in with a gang called the Gregory Gang. Now the Gregory Gang were made up of a number of members. Um, one of them, actually, surprisingly, I, I found out was a woman, which you wouldn't really think of. There were the three brothers: the Gregory brothers, Samuel, Jeremiah, and Jasper. Mm-hmm. Joseph Rose. John Jones, Thomas Roden, John Wheeler, and Mary Brazier. Now, they were not a nice bunch. No. The, uh, the good old gang of Gregory. They were... They were ruthless, let's put it that way. Um, and they were deer poachers, but also violent burglars. And reading up through some of the things that they did, it's sort of... It changes the, uh, the glamorous image of Dick Turpin when you realise what he was involved in. Yeah, uh, basically one of the things that the that Turpin and the Gregory gang did, um, it's quite shocking, really. It's, even by today's standards, mm. it's shocking. So um, basically they invaded the home of an elderly lady. Mm. It, um, it was a widow Shelley. 
and this was in January February time in 19 in 1735 um they threatened her at gunpoint with her life if she didn't tell them where she hid her savings obviously back then there were no banks as we know them today yeah. so you kept your money at home so they threatened her with gunpoint if they didn't if she didn't tell her where they were keeping them she kept refusing they then threatened to burn her alive and in her own house that they would then they'd set her house on fire and burn her alive inside she still didn't she's got she's got guts this this woman she has that that's gumption isn't it just um <laughs> She still refused, and her son, who was also there at the time, mm -hmm. he caved. He offered to tell them where the money were was if they spared her, his mum. Mm -hmm. um, he did. They yes. Yep. Um, they stole a hundred pounds from her. Oh. A silver tankard, um, other silver plates, and household goods. Okay. So they've stolen from her. They've um, threatened her at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. They then drink several bottles of her ale and wine broiled her meat and then finished it off with a fillet of veal so they they robbed her threatened to put her over a fire and roast her alive threatened to shoot her and then ate all her food and drank her drunk her alcohol yeah which to be fair at those times you couldn't really drink water too much it wasn't safe they didn't no. have the filtering that we have now so that was pretty much her her fluid supply but believe it or not yeah that isn't the worst bit of this story all right while this was going on two of the gang members went to a home of Mr. Tuckle, mm -hmm. who was a tenant of Widow Shelley. Right. They robbed him of just over £20. They stole two of his horses and fled. Okay. Just to put that in context, um, £200 back then is the equivalent of about £20,000 now. Yeah. So they stole essentially £10,000 from this woman. And about uh, nearly two grand from this guy. And household goods and silver plates, if if you didn't have money, you'd buy stuff for your house. So, like, you'd buy you'd buy crockery and things that you would display. And then in times of hardship, you could sell that. So you'd mm -hmm. sell your plate. So they basically st stole all of her savings. Yeah. All of her pension and everything. Yeah. And stealing horses at this time was also a capital offence. Yeah. As you'll find out later on. Um, but they... The horses were actually found the next morning. Right, well, that's, that's something at least. Yeah, so that's what they did with on that one particular evening. Well, I, I see your widow Shelley and raise you Joseph Lawrence. Okay, hit me. Joseph Lawrence was a 70-year-old farmer in Edgware, and they invaded his home, dragged him round by the nose with his trousers around his ankles. So this is a 70-year-old man. They drop his trousers round his ankles and then drag him around by his nose. So, indignity enough, beat him forcefully on his backside and on his head. So, they're battering this poor old man. And then they force him to sit down on a fire, still with his pants down. Jeez. But, whilst, they, whilst a few of them were doing that, a couple of the others went and raped one of his maids. <gasps> this is not the Dick Turpin story that we're led to believe. No. This is very much not the Dick Turpin story we're led to believe. This is not a glamorous dandy highwayman um who was polite to women because yeah. his gang raped them yeah i mean we don't know if he did no, that no uh, but we, know we know he, that he was involved but the gang did yeah um all accounts of what he later did prove that he wasn't really that good as a highwayman not, not as in the gang the, yeah i'm not saying the gang were good no. but they wanted to steal stuff they stole stuff so 
they did what they set out to do. It they, wasn't good yeah. at all. As a highwayman on his own, not so great. Yeah, he was good at being bad with other people. Yeah. Um, he basically when the gang of Greg, with the Gregory gang, I keep saying the gang of Gregory. Thanks, horrible histories. When the Greg Gregory gang, they got caught um, in 1735, and um, Turpin managed to escape. So quite a few of them were caught, sent to prison, a couple of them disbanded, Turpin escaped. So this is when his career as a highwayman began. Um, And this is where he meets his next partner in crime, shall we say, Tom King. Yeah, um, basically, Tom King kind of sets the precedent for how Dick Turpin's life as a highwayman was going to begin. Yeah. Um, He decided that he was going to try his hand at being a highwayman. He stopped a gentleman on the road... Mm-hmm. as highwaymen do, threatened him with a pistol. That was Tom King, the famous highwayman. Nicknamed the captain. Dick Turpin tried to highwayman the highwayman. Yep. Great, great one there, Dick. Yeah, but seeing, Good going. Yeah, but seeing this, um, Tom King obviously saw something in Dick Turpin and uh, took him under his, under his wing for a couple of years, um, terrorising the Essex roads. To be fair, it sounds like kind of a ye olde pinky in the brain set up there. Does it for What an analogy. <laughs> One is a genius, the other's Dick Turpin. Wow. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, Tom King, th- they had sort of a bit of semi-success. Yeah. And then Turpin, Turpined. <laughs> is, that, that, is that the new thing? <laughs> that is the new thing. If you, you are, you are Turpining. Um, Basically, what happened is uh, he he tried to steal another horse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they... At that point, he... Yeah, he... Um, I'm, try, I'm trying, to, trying to figure out how to put it. He... They, there was an accident where he shot a guy called Morris. Um, at that time, they were sort of... They were living within the Epping Forest, sort of living rough... And um, there was a bounty out on their heads, obviously being high women. And um, this guy called Morris, who was one of the forest keepers, um, he found Dick Turpin, tried to capture him, tried to bring him in for the reward. Turpin shot him and killed him. This is his first of two that we know of murders. Um, shortly after that, he then came across a man called Mr Major who had a really, really nice-looking horse, a very fine horse. And Turpin really wanted the horse in exchange for his knackered old horse. Um, And he basically harassed him into giving him his horse. Mr Major wasn't too happy about this, so he put out pamphlets and bits of paper um, describing the horse and naming Dick Turpin as as the thief. How he got Dick Turpin's name, I don't know. We could probably only say that he held him up and said, I am Dick Turpin, give me your horse. Because that's in keeping. That's turpening. Yes, that is turpening indeed. Um, what had happened is he'd taken the horse to the Red Lion pub in Whitechapel, and that was where Tom King was going to meet him, and they were going to come and collect it. Um, obviously, because the word had got out from Mr Major that his horse had gone missing, the police were already waiting there, or the, the equivalent back then of the police were already waiting there. And they captured King. Turpin came in to rescue his friends. This is... Similar to the Turpin we know and love. Yeah. The hero, the valiant horse rider, the I'm gonna be good. 
he rode in, guns blazing, attempting to rescue his friend mm-hmm. from from the the police. He didn't shoot a police officer. He missed completely and shot Tom King instead. He literally... <laughs> King was caught. Turpin tried to rescue him and shot his partner. Yep. That's the biggest turpining of turpinings. Yeah. But King got his own back um, for the accident, shall we call it? It was. He didn't. He never meant to shoot him. No, I mean, he was just a really crap shot. Um, yeah, Tur- Turpin was given up by King. Um, just before he died, he basically told the constables everything about Turpin, and that forced him to flee. So uh, for a while he was living in Epping Forest, and then he eventually made his way up to York. And this is where this is where it all starts to come unstuck for, for dear old Dick. Well, you say dear old Dick, this is where he changes his name. Yeah, he's no longer Dick Turpin, he is now... John Palmer! John Palmer. Now, he lived in York... And no one really knew him, but at that time, there wasn't really records in the way that we have them now, so you could just move to another town. And he potentially would have gotten away with it if he hadn't have gone back to his old ways. If he hadn't have been, if he hadn't turpined. If yeah. he'd stayed John Palmer, everything probably would have been alright. But a good old valiant hero was a bit of a twit. He used to go over to Lincolnshire and do sheep rustling raids. He'd, he'd poach sheep. Um, he'd he'd hunt, and um, he yeah he, he just basically lived this life of crime poaching poaching and rustling sheep. Um, he however one day had a slightly unsuccessful hunt, shall we say? Came back and got very very drunk, as I, you would do to commiserate. Yes, and at the time obviously you don't drink water, yeah. so it must. He must have had to drink a lot to get drunk, and if they drink alcohol all the time. Well, they used to drink something called small ale, which was like weak watered-down beer. So it was... I mean, it was watered-down in so much as they could use water back then, but it, it was a really weak beer, and they'd have it with breakfast and everything. They'd mainly drink wine with their, with their evening meal. So they'd be so used to it that it would take a lot to get them sourced. But he'd had a bad day. He was annoyed. He was upset. He had nothing to show for it. He was probably not going to be able to pay for whatever he wanted that week it was it was annoying you're gonna have to go out tomorrow and do it all again you know it's just ugh, right so what do you do you shoot your landlord's cockerel why would it be <laughs> you shoot your landlord's prize cockerel and then when your landlord comes out being all annoyed and like why have you shot my cockerel which you would do you then threaten to shoot your landlord if he doesn't shut up oh terpin yeah it just gets better and better john palmer so uh, they they arrested him for his behaviour, mm-hmm. and then they started making inquiries. And um, because obviously he hadn't lived there that long, no one really knew him. So they were like, "Well, who is John Palmer?" Um, he'd spent some time in Lincoln. So they the constables that arrested him spoke to the constables in Lincoln, like their counterparts there, and they'd heard of him for a couple of months. And whilst he was there, they had suspected him of two counts of horse theft. Going back to what we said before about horse theft being capital punishment yep now the evidence was circumstantial at best but it was what happened next and as far as epic highwayman's story you know dashing sword fighting swashbuckling you know daring right to the end it's such an anticlimax he turpined but it wasn't 
nobody in their right mind could have literally guessed that this would happen. No. This it's... is so unfair. Not that he shouldn't have been caught. Well, no. The... It's, it's fate at its worst, isn't it? Yeah. It is a massive twist of fate. It is. Um, he... There was a reward out for him at this time, which was £200, which, as I said earlier, was £2,000 in today's money. So that's, that's £20,000. £20,000, sorry. Thank you. In today's money. Um, and he... He tried to get himself off of the charges, and he knew that the evidence against him with the horse theft was circumspect, so he asked for character references. And one of the character references he asked for was from his brother-in-law. Now, his brother-in-law had an absolutely fantastic name, and uh, his brother-in-law was Pompa Rivenal. Pompa. Spelt P-O-M-P-R. Cool. And obviously, being brother-in-law, he was the husband of his sister, Dorothy. Yeah, so we had Dorothy and Dick, brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Oh, a little bit of family history there for you. Um, now, we don't know why he did it, but Rivenall refused to pay the postage of the letter. Yeah, because was, this was the days before stamps, so you had to pay sixpence postage charge. Yeah. And um, Rivenall said no, basically. Either whether he was tight-fisted, whether he didn't want to pay it, whether he didn't want anything to do with it, whether he recognised the handwriting and just thought, no, you know what, let him, let the police have him, things like that. Um, he didn't pay for it. So it got returned to the local post office. Working at the post office was a gentleman called James Smith. Yeah, and here is the twist of fate. Um, Smith happened to be one of Richard Turpin's old teachers. Mm-mm. He'd taught him how to write. So um, James Smith recognised the handwriting and outed John Palmer to be Dick Turpin. Now, he went to the local constables because the, the order to arrest Dick Turpin and the reward came from on the order of the king himself. Oh. Yeah, it's quite serious. I mean, horse thievery was serious. Highwaymen, yeah, burglary, yeah, all that, yeah. Horse thievery, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was that was a major thing so he took the letter to the nearest constable the nearest magistrate authority and said you know this is my suspicion I think it's Dick Turpin I haven't read it yet um, and then he read it to them at the time and it was confirmed that it was Dick Turpin from what was what was written inside um, so he obviously got the £200 reward which was a big bonus for him and they managed to tie the other crimes to good old John Palmer see I don't I don't like because everything we're seeing about Dick Turpin is obviously not the guy that we know but I just feel like that is just that's irony that is fate not liking you wanting you to get your just result, reward right right I mean it's the the way I when when we were talking about it earlier when we were doing the research it's kind of it's a bit unfortunate it's it's sort of an anticlimax in the way he was caught because it's like Al Capone and all of his his gangs and his murdering and his bootlegging and everything. Um, he was caught on account of tax evasion. And then all the rest came to light. Dick Turpin, murderer, thief, burglar, cattle rustler, everything. Caught for shooting a cockerel. And then executed for writing a letter. Yeah. Essentially. He would not have been found to be Dick Turpin if his brother-in-law had kept the letter or if he just hadn't written it yeah if he if he hadn't have done if he hadn't have gone back to his own way old ways if his brother-in-law had 
paid the sixpence and opened the letter and provided a character witness to, for him. If he'd have managed to get the other ones, then it would have been okay. There's a lot that kind of there's a lot of what ifs. It went against a lot of stuff went against him. Yeah, he was meant to be caught. I mean, he at first when he was first in prison, he was at the Beverly House of Correction. Um, and then when the whole horse thief allegations came to light on the 16th of October 1738 um, he was transferred to York Castle because obviously with it being a capital offence he was there to await execution York was near Tyburn Tyburn was like the, the place to hang people Turpin thought that he was going to be sent back and tried in Essex where he was from which is why he didn't bother telling people to come to York um, to give him a character witness um, it, it's why he didn't think he, he thought he had a bit more time however when everything came to light his trial was rushed through at York so he had no one there he had no witnesses and at that time it was incredibly expensive to hire a lawyer um, so the vast majority of the time you were defending yourself so he was defending himself being the idiot that he was um, against such crimes as that that were capital offences without character witnesses because he'd not bothered to tell them all to come oh he didn't really stand yeah he didn't really stand a chance did he let's let's be honest here and they they would have i mean the evidence was circumstantial as i say with the with the horses so he um he yeah they they would have found a way yeah and they uh he was put on trial Mm -hmm. um on the 22nd of march 1739 and he was found guilty of two counts of horse theft and he was sentenced to death so it was the horse theft that sentenced him and then the highwayman stuff just added on st- on top. Yeah. So he was going to die anyway, yeah. but writing that letter just was like, at least we know, I guess, Dick Turpin came to... He ended. Yeah. Um, he was actually executed on the 7th of April, 1739, so quite speedily after, you know, a couple mm. of weeks after. Um and he used some of his ill-gotten gains, some of the money that he'd, he'd robbed and like got from rustling sheep and things, and um, he used it to buy himself a new coat and shoes to wear on the day. Because, you know, everyone wants to look dapper when they're going to die. Yeah, but apart from that, he also hired professional mourners. Well, he told everybody not to bother coming, so there's no not going to be anybody <laughs> there. <laughs> Same. But um, apparently he was, uh, he was taken through the streets of York in an open-topped cart, and that was when his proper high women bravado came out because he tried to i mean obviously you would try to put on a brave face at this that point you know what's going to happen you sort of nine times out of ten you would be freaking out but you'd you'd reconcile yourself to it there's nothing yeah. you could do about it so he put on a bit of a show and apparently when he was when he was taken up to the gallows which were at Knavesmire in Tyburn um he was waving and bowing to the crowd well he was quite light wasn't he older uh... Turpin, when people found out that um, he he wasn't John Palmer, just the random, you know, cockerel shooter, mm-hmm. um, he was actually Dick Turpin, um, people, the people in the prison used to let people pay to come and see him, because he was that infamous, that people used to pay to go and see him in prison. Some of these women mm. used to pay to... Uh, make use of his conjugal rights shall oh we say my. yeah people would so uh, people would pay to go and uh, see Dick Turpin see in inverted commas yep yeah um so at least his imprisonment wasn't all bad potentially oh 
I mean, he would have had some high points. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, double entendre <laughs> there, Carrie. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, so he was executed. Yeah. The the execution is another sort of another twist, another, another turpin. Yeah, another little <laughs> bit of irony, really, um, because York didn't actually, despite being a a main execution place, they didn't actually have an executioner. Um, what they did instead was certain prisoners would be offered a pardon for performing the service themselves. So if you were a prisoner of slightly lesser crimes... Yeah, you weren't going to be killed, but you were going to serve some time. Yeah, then uh, you could commute that sentence and potentially be pardoned by being the executioner yourself. So you could get let off execution by being the executioner. Yeah, and this happened for Dick Turpin. Mm-hmm. Um, he was hung by a fellow called Thomas Hadfield. Yep. A fellow highwayman. Awkward. A highwayman killed by a highwayman. Yep. Or a highwayman killing the highwayman. Oh, yeah. Um, but his story doesn't actually end on his execution date. No, no being it Dick Turpin, obviously, um, he wasn't. He was buried quite quickly after he was executed. I think it was what um, um, the next day, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, on his execution, apparently it took him about five minutes to die. According to the Gentleman's Magazine, he threw himself off the scaffold rather because a lot of the time they'd have to, the execution would have to push them because obviously you wouldn't want to do yeah. it. He just jumped off and it took him a full five minutes. Ooh. Which means either the rope wasn't long enough or they hadn't factored in his weight so he wasn't heavy enough. That's a long time. Yeah, because what you want ideally is a rope that's long enough to drop with, they used to call it the short drop and sudden stop because you drop to snap the neck and that would be quick mm-hmm. um, or if it was a heavier person not quite as long a drop so that they would they'd break their own neck but obviously they didn't factor that in properly um, well, like you said, was an experience yeah and you like you said they rushed his trial to execution quite quickly so. yeah um, so yeah five minutes but then he was buried in St George's Churchyard in Fishergate in York mm-hmm. on the 8th of April 1739 so, so the very next day yeah Okay. But a week later, his body was dug up and was sold to a surgeon for illegal medical dissection. Oh, yeah. But both of these men, the men who, both the men, so the one who dug him up and the surgeon, mm-hmm. they were later arrested when it came to light what had happened, and Turbin's body was then reburied. Yeah, I mean, um, apparently the people of York were very, very unhappy about this. I mean, you had the sort, the same sort of thing going on with Burke and Hare up in Edinburgh, um, and it had, it did lead to quite a lot of medical discovery admittedly but it's not a good way of doing it because if i mean we'll come back to birkenhair at another point but there's basically ended in murder like they they would they would find again inverted commas all these all these newly dead friends of theirs um who conveniently you know fell down the stairs Mm. or cut their head off shaving sort of thing um (laughs) and yeah it was that sort of situation but the people of york weren't having that there was a big angry mob these guys got arrested but there is a rumour that the body buried in Dick Turpin's grave may not be Dick Turpin because if he had more than one body on the go, it may have just been someone else that they grabbed and bunged in. Who knows? Knowing Dick Turpin, there, there'll be some sort of unfortunate event that happened to his body. It Very would have probably. turpined even when he had died. Yeah, probably just the angry mob rushed in and just ran him over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but his gravestone is still in St George's Churchyard, mm-hmm. and it does have his name on there, also known as John Palmer. 
because he was so in a nutshell that is pretty much that is the story the true story of dick turpin slightly different to the gallant hero yeah um he didn't have black Bess wasn't his horse um that's that was one thing he didn't i mean he obviously had a horse but it wasn't black Bess. that was something that was made up um as part of a novel called rockwood by harrison ainsworth um which was published in the 1840s i believe please if i'm wrong correct me so this is when they started to try and glamorize dick turpin yeah basically yeah so um but also another myth to bust um he didn't ride from westminster to york in 24 hours um that was actually swift john nevison Mm -hmm. but what dick turpin actually did he rode oh no this was john nevison that did this my bad uh he he rode um 190 miles in under 20 hours to give himself an alibi for a robbery he had committed in kent so the story that you're told of dick turpin riding black bess in under 24 hours is actually just a story of swift yeah it's i mean it's it looks like um when the novel was written it's sort of they brought together a load of different highwaymen and all of their different myths and just put it into one and because of dick turpin's bravado around his execution they probably made him the likely the likely hero Mm -hmm. now i was looking into this because um i was was kind of intrigued and there is um there's a good website that i'm going to put the link up to on the show notes that has helped with this um it's called nowyouknow.org and um i was intrigued as to where we got dick from as in richard now um richard into dick Richard originally is from the Proto-Germanic Ricatu, meaning hard ruler. So, you know, like a, a tough tough ruler. Um, it was then translated into Old German as Rickerhard, and then into Old French as Richard before it being anglicised into Richard. Which is, you know, a, a lot of our languages from French, Saxon, German sort of area and Greek and Latin. Um, shortened versions were then used such as Rick or Rich when everything was written by hand, because, you know, pre-printing press. Um, people then started to rhyme names to give nicknames. So Rick became Dick or Hick sometime around the 13th century. So from there, ever since the 13th century, we've been calling people Dick or Hick. Obviously, Hick has sort of died out, but Dick has caught on. So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and going back to, obviously, his name, Mm -hmm. there was actually, when you said that Dick Turpin was, um, there was money for him. Yep. There was also, on the flyers... Um, was a description of Dick Turpin. So obviously we've got this idea that we're told that he's really handsome, that he's the English gentleman. He was just like the epitome of man because that's how he's meant yeah, to think dashing. of, you know. Yes, on a horseback looking all beautiful. With his tricorn hat and his, his ruffled collar and his red sleeves. Yep. Yep. Um, actually... I'm not saying that any of these is bad at all, but his actual he's described um, to be about five foot nine inches high, mm-hmm. uh, brown complexion, mm-hmm. um, very marked with smallpox. Okay. Um, his cheekbones were broad. Mm-hmm. His face was thinner towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. His visage was short. Mm-hmm. He was pretty upright and pretty broad about the shoulders. And that's from an article published in the Gentleman's Magazine in 1737, and that was part of an appeal to find the killer of Thomas Morris, who was the guy he killed in Epic yeah. Forest. So that, I mean, that says that five foot nine is, it's still, I mean, it's about average for a man, isn't it? About average. It's, it's just just shy of six foot. So he's, he's fairly tallish. Um, 
broad around the shoulders, quite upright. So he's obviously got good posture. He's quite upright. Um, broad around the shoulders means that he's he could be relatively strong, maybe not a weedy guy, and quite a narrow face. Smallpox. I mean, smallpox was caught a certain way. So possibly not entirely faithful to his wife. Just putting that out there. Um, so yeah, he's got possibly not face. faithful. People paid to go and sleep with him in prison. This was before. Right. But at that point, we, <laughs> we actually don't know what happened to his wife. No, no. No, just thinking about that. Oh. I want to know. His poor wife. Check back another time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he sounds quite average, really, doesn't he? He does. He doesn't sound like the strapping guy upon horseback that we have came to know and love. So, Dick Turpin, you are no longer the gallant hero in the eyes of myself and of many who will listen to this podcast you have been outed and you are quite frankly not the highwayman that we are that we know you are a turpin yes so that's (laughs) the end of this week's podcast but obviously we end all of our podcasts with a ridiculous death Mm -hmm. and carrie the ridiculous death please this time I went for one who's in the same era but a little bit later. This is in the 1750s. This is Frederick, Prince of Wales. So it's a royal, a royal one. Um, he was born on the 1st of February 1707 and is the son of King George II and the father of King George III. So he should have been king. He was very, very fond of cricket. As in the sport? As in the sport. Absolutely loved cricket. Um, it was quite a prominent English sport. It was the main British sport at that point. And he was very good at it. However, it was cricket that killed him. Aww. He turpined. He he turpined. In 1741, at the age of 44, good old Frederick was struck in the chest by a cricket ball. So he was obviously like being a batter, batman and someone threw the ball to him. Potentially, or he could have been one of the fielders and the ball got smacked and it it hit him. Um, We don't know what position he was playing, but uh, he certainly knows Freddie Flintoff. Because no. Freddie Prince of Wales had a pulmonary embolism that was originally thought to be a lung abscess caused by being hit in the chest by a cricket ball. That must have been a hard cricket ball. Well, they, they would have been rock solid. I mean, it might have been a cricket ball or an, an original proper tennis ball, which were wrapped leather pretty much... I mean, it would have felt like someone had wrapped leather around a rock. That's more or less what it would have felt like. And that hit him in the chest so hard it caused an embolism. And he died. So, play cricket. Cricket kills you. They say exercise never hurts anybody, but, you know, that that's a testament to why risk it. He turpined. He turpined. He turpined so bad, he died. Aww. So let's just take a second to think of Frederick, Prince of Wales, the man who could have been king, but for a rogue game of cricket. <sighs> Poor Frederick. Right. Until next time. Good night. <laughs>